We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Dr. David Fagenbaum, a groundbreaking physician scientist, disease hunter, speaker, and best-selling author of the acclaimed memoir, Chasing My Cure, A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action. Best known as the doctor who cured himself, Dr. Fagenbaum went from being a college quarterback to receiving his last rites while in medical school and nearly dying four more times battling Castleman disease, a deadly cytokine storm disorder. To try to save his own life, he spearheaded an innovative approach to research through the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network and discovered a treatment that has put him into his longest remission ever. This approach is saving his life and other patients' lives too. Now he is spreading this approach to other diseases like COVID-19 and sharing lessons he learned about living from nearly dying through Chasing My Cure, which has been translated into five languages and named one of the best nonfiction books of 2019 by Next Big Ideas Club. One of the youngest individuals ever appointed to the faculty at Penn Medicine and the top 1% youngest grant awardees of a leading NIH R01 grant, Dr. Fagenbaum has been recognized on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list as a top healthcare leader by Becker's Hospital Review, the Global Gene Rare Champion of Hope Science Awardee, and one of three recipients, including Vice President Joe Biden, of a 2016 Atlas Award from the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia. He has published scientific papers in high-impact journals such as Blood, Lancet Hematology, and the Journal of Clinical Investigation, including one that was selected by Stat News in 2020 as one of the best innovations in science and medicine. Before founding the CDCN, Dr. Fagenbaum co-founded and led the Actively Moving Forward Support Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting grieving college students. Dr. Fagenbaum has been profiled in a cover story by the New York Times, as well as by Good Morning America, CNN, and the Today Show, among others. Dr. Fagenbaum earned a bachelor's degree from Georgetown University, magna cum laude, with honors and distinction, a master's degree from the University of Oxford, his MD from the University of Pennsylvania, and an MBA from the Wharton School. He is a former Division I college quarterback, state champion weightlifter, and co-founder of a national grief support network. David, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Ed, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a delight to be on. Absolutely. So David, can you tell us a bit about Castleman disease and how it affected you? Sure. Castleman disease is a rare immune system disorder where the immune system becomes hyperactivated and then begins to attack and shut down your vital organs. For me, I, I learned about Castleman disease as a medical student, I guess, kind of like most people learn about Castleman disease. But in my case, it was when I became deathly ill with Castleman disease. I went from totally healthy to um, being critically ill and spending months hospitalized, so sick at one point that I actually had my last rites read to me 
because the doctors didn't think I would survive. And I've really considered that moment to be my overtime. And I'm trying to live like I'm in overtime and make every second count. Wow. And part of your personal and professional story is that you actually discovered your own treatment. Can you tell us about that process and, and how you made the discovery to save your own life? Sure. So I mentioned earlier that the immune system becomes hyperactivated, and it's actually very similar to what we see with COVID-19. This so-called cytokine storm that we've been hearing about lately is exactly what happens in Castleman disease. The difference is that in Castleman's, we don't know why the cytokine storm is initiated, unlike in COVID, where we know that the virus initiates it. And in my case, I mentioned I was so sick that I had my last rites read to me very early in my disease course, but then I went on to have multiple relapses after, after that, um, relapses requiring multi-agent chemotherapy to save my life. Um, eventually, um, I was started on an experimental drug that I hoped would keep my disease in remission. And I was in remission for about one year. I was able to go back to medical school and back to my original path of wanting to become an oncologist in memory of my mom. And um, then I re relapsed on the only drug in development for my disease and I realized that I could no longer just hope that someone somewhere would figure out how my disease works and, and identify a drug. And I, and I promised my family, my dad, my sisters, and my girlfriend at the time that I would dedicate the rest of my life, however long that may be, to trying to identify a drug that could, could maybe keep me alive. And so I started a foundation called the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network. I started conducting laboratory research into Castleman disease, all with the same goal that we all have right now against COVID-19 to figure out how do you stop the cytokine storm? And then, and then importantly, how do you prevent it from starting up again in the future? And um, I was able to, uh, over the course of the next year, um, unfortunately, I didn't make nearly enough progress in, nearly, uh, in the time that I had because I relapsed and I nearly died for the fifth time. Um, but this time, I collected a number of samples on myself during that relapse and I survived thanks to chemotherapy. And when I got out of the hospital, I realized I wouldn't make it to my fiance and I's wedding day if I didn't find a drug that could save my life. So I performed a series of experiments that revealed that a particular communication line called the mTOR pathway was highly activated and decided to take a drug that had never been used before for my disease that I thought could keep me in remission. And it's, it's been over six years now. Wow. I'm glad to hear that that's, um, that remission's lasted so long. Um, so you just mentioned that You've literally been on your deathbed. You've received last rites because you were so close to death and that you've actually survived this five times over. What lessons did you learn when you were so critically ill? I learned a, a lot of lessons, lessons that I, I wish I didn't have to go through all of those challenges to learn. Um, the first that I'd highlight is, is this concept of overtime that I mentioned earlier. Um, in overtime, um, it's time you didn't think you'd have. It's time where every second counts and uh, it can either create a lot of fear. You know, I don't know how much time I have left on the clock. That can be very scary, um, but it can also be very clarifying. You can help you say, okay, if, if there's a limited amount of time left on the clock, then I can, you know, I'm going to do these things as opposed to those things. And I, and I think that COVID-19 has created a similar sense of overtime for many of us. And like I said, it's in some people it can create fear and others clarity. And so uh, one thing that I've been trying to do is to share these lessons through Chasing My Cure during this time of COVID, because I think that if we can work on moving that, that fear towards clarity, I think that's really important. I also mentioned a lesson around the concept of turning hope into action. I couldn't hope that some researcher somewhere would figure my disease out. If I was hoping for it, I needed to take action. And I think um, that what's happening right now in America with so many people standing up and trying to turn their hope for a future where we are all equal um, into action, into taking action to, to do that. I think that's 
uh, an important example among many others of, of of moving from from hopes toward towards you know taking concrete action that can make the world closer to, to what you're hoping for. Uh, another important lesson that I'd mention is um, this concept of uh, solutions can be hiding in plain sight. That this is a, the drug that I'm on, serolimus, has been around for 30 years and no one had ever thought to try it for my disease. And most patients with cat, well, Castleman disease patients, a third of us will die within five years of diagnosis, another third die within 10 years of diagnosis. So for years and years, uh, many patients have, have unfortunately died battling this disease when this drug was available at you know every nearby neighborhood CVS, but no one had ever thought to try it. And I think that this is one of the reasons that I decided to, to, to refocus my lab um, on studying COVID-19 is this concept of you know, how many drugs are out there that they might actually have activity against COVID-19. And we've, we've heard about a lot in the news, or we've heard about a few of them in the news, but there actually are a lot more that, are, that have a lot of promise. And I actually want to learn a little bit more about your lab studies. But before we do, I have another question about battling illness. And, and you've really been through the ringer with your, your own disease and battle. What advice do you have for those who are battling significant illnesses, as well as advice for their loved ones? I think that the first thing that I would say is that there is just no way that I could have survived through these five uh, deadly episodes of my disease where I spent months hospitalized in critical condition without my family um, and without my friends and, and my girlfriend and, and now my wife. Um, that support was so, so critical. I, there were so many times where, um, where I just wanted to give up and, and the breathing was so painful fighting for each breath was so painful that I, I, and I, and I think I would have given up if I didn't have um, them by my side, encouraging me, but also making me realize that I, I couldn't give up for them. I needed to keep fighting for them. So I think the support, and I think what's tough with COVID-19 right now, is so many people are battling in ICUs by themselves because of um, containment efforts, which I, I certainly understand, but, um, but wow, uh, is it important to have the people that you love fighting with you? I think another um, takeaway that I have is that, if someone had told me, I spent almost six months in the hospitalized to, to begin with. And if someone had told me on day one, David, all of the pain and suffering and agony you're going through right now is going to continue every single day for the next six months. I think I would have absolutely said, like, I, I can't do it. I don't, I don't have the strength, the fortitude. I don't have the grit to make it through this for six months. Um, but I knew that I could make it through that day. And so I made it through the first day. And then the second day, I made it through the second day. And um, I know that it's a cliche, you know, one day at a time, but, but truly, uh, I, I think I'm alive because I was able to have that, that mentality. Wow. Wow. It's a fighter spirit. Um, I understand that your lab at the University of Pennsylvania is studying cytokine storms, and that this is what occurs when the immune system goes into overdrive fighting certain diseases. And it's also part, as you mentioned, of what we're seeing in COVID-19 infections. So can you tell us about what a cytokine storm is and how it affects the body? Sure. So the cytokine storm is the end result of, as you said, having a hyperactivated immune system. When you, when you think about your immune system, it is your, um, your defense mechanism. It is your um, armed forces that are, that are fighting against any sort of foreign invader. Also against cancer, your immune system is, is quite good at eliminating and fighting cancer, but it's there to protect you. Um, and you can think about your military that's, that's there to protect you. Um, and, uh, if 
the weapons get turned on yourself, so in this case, your healthy organs, or get out of control, then there can be a lot of collateral damage. And so that's exactly what happens in a cytokine storm. Your immune system, which is there to help you and is trying to help you, trying to fight a virus or trying to fight cancer or an idiopathic multicenter calcium disease case, we don't know why it's getting into such a fight mode. But when it gets into this fight mode, it starts causing destruction. And unfortunately, with the immune system, a little bit of destruction leads to a lot of destruction because there are what are called these positive feedback mechanisms where a little bit of inflammation leads to a little bit more inflammation. And then it creates this, this cycle or a storm. We call it a cytokine storm. Um, and that situation is, is really hard to break. In idiopathic multicenter calcium disease, there are two drugs that were developed um, that can break the cytokine storm. They both target um, this one particular cytokine called interleukin-6. And then I should maybe even take it back a step. I know that many of your listeners will, will know the nuances of cytokine signaling, but a cytokine is a molecule the immune system produces to communicate with other immune cells and, and also to have direct cellular effects. And so it's kind of the, a way to communicate, but also to, to, to affect change. and um, there are these drugs that are that were approved and developed for calcium disease that now are two of the most promising drugs in the fight against COVID-19. And I think that the key takeaway here is that um, you can get to a cytokine storm from a, a number of different pathways I and mean, a number of different uh, kind of starting points, it, it, but it's a final common state that um, our lab has been studying for, for years. And that thankfully, there are drugs that already exist to target cytokine storms that we're now repurposing for COVID-19. Wow. And, and so you're not only studying this, um, the cytokine storms, but you've experienced it. So, and you've touched on it a little bit already, but can you describe what it's like to uh, experience a COVID-19 like cytokine storm as a patient? Sure. I think that the, the first thing um, to mention is that when you have a cytokine storm, the problem is, is that your immune system's out of control, but the, the final product is that your organs start to shut down. So your liver, your kidneys, your bone marrow, your heart, your lungs, they all begin to shut down when the cytokine levels get too high. And so... Um, science, science, science! Science, science! Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. For me, one of the first things that comes to mind when I think about each of the five COVID-19-like cytokine storms I've experienced um, is confusion, and that's because the because my liver and kidneys are not functioning, toxins accumulated in my blood at very high levels, just like they are in COVID nineteen patients, which make it very it makes it very difficult to think and to think um, critically. And so, you get very confused. Um, you get very tired when you think about having the cold or the flu. The reason you feel bad isn't actually the cold or the flu. The reason you feel badly is because of the cytokines your immune system is producing to fight off the cold or the flu. And so imagine multiplying those cytokines times 100 or 1,000, and you feel 100 or 1,000 times more tired than you do when you have the flu. So it's incredible fatigue, 
confusion and, and, and pain is a really, is a really big part of it. And the pain primarily being because with the liver and kidney failure, you end up gaining fluid all over your body. It's called third spacing. And that third spacing is very painful when it occurs around your vital organs. You have sacs around your heart, your lungs, your kidneys. And when those sacs begin to stretch due to this fluid kind of pouring everywhere, it creates a, a knife-like pain that's very difficult to, to kind of put into words. So it's confusing, it's tiring, it's painful. And, um, and as I said before, I don't think anyone, um, well, I shouldn't say I don't think anyone, I certainly did not and don't have the strength to be able to fight through all those things simultaneously without support and love. And so I think that um, this, is, this is what's kind of come together to be such a challenge for, for patients. Wow. Um, you mentioned a moment ago interleukin-6, which is part of the process of what we're seeing with COVID-19, and you've redirected your laboratory studies towards identifying the most promising existing drugs that we might be able to use to treat COVID-19. So can you tell us about this process and what you've studied so far? Sure. There's a, um, a kind of roadmap to get from no drugs to, to drugs. And, um, and, and when I say that, no drugs that work for a disease to having drugs that work for a disease. And um, that roadmap can include new drug development, um, as it should. We need to work on new drugs. But um, drug repurposing, taking an old drug that's already approved and moving down this kind of pipeline is much faster and much less expensive, as you can imagine. The drug's already FDA approved. It's, you know, it's in the pharmacy. It just needs to be studied for this disease. So we take the approach in Castleman disease and also against COVID to follow the, the roadmap of drug repurposing. And for us, we see it broken down into a few steps. Um, and we as a lab and my foundation, the Castleman disease collaborative network, we both decided that we want to, um, to, to push forward the, the repurposing um, uh, roadmap or, or pathway for COVID-19. Um, so along that pathway is first performing really in-depth investigation of the disease of interest. So in this case, single cell RNA sequencing, flow cytometry, um, really probing cytokine panels, really probing what occurs in COVID-19 on a cellular level. Um, the next question is, okay, among the things that are occurring, um, are there any drugs that are known to be able to target that thing? Okay, you get your list of drugs. The next question is, okay, in the lab, if I actually treat these cells with the drugs that were predicted to be effective, can they actually either prevent viral replication or maybe even prevent cytokine reduction? And then finally, when you give them to humans, does it actually work to control the disease? And so there's these kind of four steps. And our lab has, has been, been focusing on, on multiple of those steps. In particular, we started out by creating what's called the Corona Project, which focuses on that last step, which is saying when drugs are given, let's track all of the drugs in one central place. Anyone in the world can access this database. What drugs are being given and then which drugs seem to be more promising than others? That just to me felt like an, a, a fundamental step we had to take against COVID. It's a fundamental step we took against Castleman's. So we maintain this database, um, the Corona Project. Moving earlier in the, in, in the process, we're now accessing data from that uh, researchers have been making publicly available. It's actually been pretty amazing and, and, and special to see the, the collaboration that's occurring and the willingness to make data available before publication. So, so we've been reanalyzing um, uh, data that external labs have been placing online um, and comparing those data sets against our Castleman's data sets, because we know we know what drugs work and what drugs don't work against Castleman's. We've been studying this for years and years. And so what we hope to do and what we are doing is saying, what's similar between these two and, and, and where there are drugs that work on both? And what's different, which would maybe make think another drug would be better. 
Wow. And the, the research around COVID is really robust because it's a worldwide pandemic. And I just really want to emphasize for our audience that how important the work is that you're doing and, and how important foundations and university-based labs are in studying treatments for rare diseases, because they really don't get much attention from pharmaceutical companies who are developing the medications because there's just not, because they're rare there's not much money to be made. And so they, they just really don't get much attention. And it's people like you and labs like yours and foundations that, that are helping support these treatments and cures. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that um, because um, the urgency that we feel as a, as a world right now against COVID-19 is the exact same urgency that every single family that has a patient with a rare disease feels all the time. Yet, unfortunately, there isn't a global initiative or global effort to cure each one of these rare diseases. And so groups like ours do, do the best that we can. And we're so thankful for people who support our work. Right. Absolutely. So David, how can what you learned about researching your own treatment for Castleman disease help save more patients who have COVID-19 infection? I think uh, in, in a few ways. One is um, following the same blueprint we took for Castleman disease to identify drugs that should be repurposed. And, and we have a couple of papers that are, that are in process that we, that we'll, we'll share some of our early findings um, that, that hopefully will lead to additional drug repurposing. But importantly, we've all learned over these last few months that you can't just say, okay, this drug is likely to work and then everyone take it and it does work and it saves everyone's life. I think that it's really important to identify candidates like has been done, but then it's also really important to track, well, how well are they actually doing in humans? Because I've learned, I guess I'd say the hard way, that a lot of times we get really excited about what we see in the lab and in our test tubes. And we say, wow, this drug works so well. It's, you know, it's killing these cells or it's keeping these cells alive. And, and of course, all of us researchers, we want these drugs to work. We, we want to we help people as best we can. And then, then you move into the clinic and you find out that the drug either is too toxic or it just doesn't work. And so repurposing is, is no exception. The good news about repurposing compared to new drug development is that you already have a good idea for how safe the drug is because it's already approved and you have a general idea for how it works. So there's a couple unknowns that are, that are taken out of the equation compared to new drug development, but you just, you have to test. You have to, once you give it to people, you have to track how, how well it's working. You can't just say, oh, we figured it out. It, it works in a test tube. It's going to work in everyone else. So I think that it's about, you know, let's keep um, looking for new drugs that can be used. And when I say new drugs, I really mean new uses of old drugs. But then let's also make sure that we're tracking them as closely as we can so that we can learn from how well they're working or how well they're not working. Right. Wow. Um, since cytokine storm is seen in both COVID-19 infection and Castleman disease, as we've already touched on, can you tell us about any drugs that are used in the treatment of Castleman disease that have shown efficacy or effectiveness against COVID-19? Sure. Um, there are two um, that right away stand out. They both target interleukin-6. One is a drug called siltuximab that targets interleukin-6 directly. There's some really promising data that came out of Italy about a month or so ago. Um, and again, this is just in the really sick patients with cytokine storms. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect these drugs to work in people who have mild cases of COVID-19. Um, the place that it likely has the most efficacy is going to be in the people who are on the, in the ICU on a ventilator. Um, and so we saw that uh, with the siltuximab trial, of course, we're all eager to see randomized control trial data because as we've all learned, sometimes things can look really promising when there's no comparator group. Um, but anyway, that, that's one drug I'm really optimistic about. Another drug, tocilizumab, targets the receptor for interleukin-6. 
That drug was developed in Japan by a colleague of mine named Kazu Yoshizaki. Kazu is an amazing physician scientist. He developed the drug for Castleman disease. And um, in the early days of, de of development, he um, was getting ready to move it from studying it in mice to studying it in humans. And I had heard that Kazu gave it to himself to prove that it was safe. And when I asked Kazu about that, I said, Kazu, I heard that you gave tocilizumab to yourself to prove it, that it was safe as the first human. And he said, no, 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 I didn't give it to myself. The nurse, she gave it to me. <laughs> so Kazu Yoshizaki uh, was the first human. He developed the drug, first human to receive it. He didn't die when he took it. And so then he went on to give it to other humans. That drug went on to get approval in Japan for Castleman's, in the US for rheumatoid arthritis. It actually also is being used as an adjuvant therapy in a number of cancers that get CART therapy. And now it's a very promising drug in the fight against COVID-19. I think this gets to your earlier question that I think is really important. Rare disease drug development is often neglected. It's underfunded. It's under-resourced. And um, that's partly because people say, well, if it only affects 5,000 people a year like Castleman disease does in the U.S., then you know, there are other diseases to focus on. Well, this is a great example where a drug developed for Castleman disease is now being used for rheumatoid arthritis, for cancer, for COVID-19. Um, and I think that uh, we, we should, you know, remember these examples. And there actually are many others uh, of drugs for rare disease that are having effects far beyond that rare disease. Absolutely. Um, before I ask my next question, would you mind telling our audience a bit about the Chan Zuckerberg initiative? Because it ties into what I want to ask you. Sure. So Chan Zuckerberg initiative was started by Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg several years ago with um, some really ambitious um, and, and, and frankly, exciting um, goals and, and an amazing mission to improve well-being. And, and one of those goals is focused around health. And the, the, the vision that CCI has placed out placed to the world is that by the end of this century, that every disease will be cured or prevented. And that is a, a tall order, right? You know, we've got tens of thousands of diseases. Um, and and we've, we as a, as a medical community have cured a small fraction of those diseases um, or able to bring a small fraction. So it's a really lofty and ambitious goal, um, but they have put this out to the world and, um, and now they're fighting to try to achieve that mission. Outstanding. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning Priscilla Chan's actually a physician here in my neck of the woods at UCC, That's right. which is where probably where the focus on health comes from. Um, with that part of the initiative. That's right. Uh, so David, you've pioneered a new approach to research and drug development that's being replicated by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative as a model for rare diseases and to look at pre-existing FDA-approved medications as possible treatments or cures for other diseases like COVID-19. Could you tell us just a little bit more about that? Sure. So I mentioned Chan Zuckerberg Initiative's really kind of big picture vision, which I just love and have, have bought into. Um, what's exciting is that they have a, this, you know, kind of huge, huge mission, but they also have some really clear ways that they, they want to achieve that. Um, from, a, from a kind of first principle basis, they're, they're saying that the way that they want to achieve that is by investing in platform technologies that can help all diseases. So basically, um, you know, what can they do to make impact for one disease scalable to other diseases? And what sort of engineering and IT technology and experience can they bring to bear based on the work that obviously Facebook um, has pioneered over the years? So that's, that's social networking, but it's also just really high-level um, bioinformatics. And so 
when we were sharing about the approach that we take to Castleman disease, which we, we call it the collaborative network approach. And that's where, when, when I first decided to fight back against Castleman's and I started the CDCN in 2012, I spent a lot of time trying to understand how do other groups accelerate research for their disease. And um, we came up with a new model based on some of the gaps that existed. And, and really our model is to say, let's build, let's not just raise money and then invite researchers to use it how they want to use it. Let's focus on building a community. So finding all the physicians, researchers, and patients, connecting them together online, and then crowdsourcing from that community what research should be done, then going out and recruiting the right researchers to do the right project right now. And um, that's sort of an approach. It's a, it's a very simple approach. And I think that it, um, it's, it's certainly business inspired. It's not necessarily healthcare inspired because we've been doing things differently in healthcare for a while, but it's worked really well for Castleman disease. So as I shared our approach with leadership at CCI, in particular, Tanya Simoncelli, um, there was a really clear uh, overlap here. So I talked about connecting communities. Um, I talked about uh, crowdsourcing from all stakeholders, um, finding the right people to do the right work at the right time. These very this fits very well with this concept of of crowdsourcing um, platform technologies that CZI is really committed to. So they launched a program called the Rare as One Initiative with a goal of really um, uh, helping to elevate the patient voice in the research community and in, in research efforts, and, and not just the patient voice, but it, it's elevating the patient and it's connecting physicians, researchers, patients to really drive forward science, which is. Um, it's something we've been doing for quite some time. So Rare is One was launched about six, six or so months ago. Um, and then um, in addition to uh, Rare is One, uh, we are partnering directly with them um, to make the tools and technologies that we've been using for Castleman disease scalable to other rare diseases. Wow. Great, amazing work that you're doing there. Um, David, this has been a really interesting and enlightening conversation. And I want to thank you on behalf of the podcast and our audience for, for joining us and sharing your story and talking about um, the search for treatments for rare diseases and how you've pivoted to, to really help in the fight against um, critically ill um, COVID-19 patients. We'll make sure that, you're, that we put in links into the show notes about um, the work that you're doing and your book and some of the, the fight against COVID-19 so that our audience can learn a little bit more about that, but uh, I just want to thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me on and helping to, to share our message. We um, have uh, unfortunately learned a lot over the years about drug development and about challenges of facing cytokine storms, but fortunately, now we're trying to share those messages of hope with the world through Chasing My Cure, through our project, the Corona Project, and through the work we're doing. So thanks for helping to elevate that. Absolutely. And it really is great work that you're doing. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslonga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.